Welcome to the Family Life Church Podcast. We hope you're blessed and encouraged to share this with someone you know. Subscribe or visit thefamilylife.org for more information. I'm going to get right into the Word of the Lord. Um, if you have your Bibles, we'll turn to the book of Matthew chapter 8, and I'm going to ask you to go ahead and, and have a seat. Uh, and here's the reason why. I'm going to go through the entire book of Matthew chapter 8. Okay. Um, yes, yes, yes. This is really one of my favorite chapters of, um, of the Gospels. And I have been, uh, in the last uh, few weeks, going through old notes. Anyone have old notes around their house? Boy, it's amazing what our houses are full of, isn't it? Before I get into this too much, we, we've been accused in America of stuff-itis. That if you go into any one of our homes, there's just so much stuff. And my goodness, I have an office and I was looking through some things to try to figure out what to throw away. And then by the time you're reading through things, you don't know what you keep and what's important and what's not. Anyone else gone through that kind of... Str- okay, I'm not alone. It's difficult. But... I, um, you know, I spent years under uh, a great teacher, and I took a lot of notes, and so I was just going through some old notes, and um, and I read those notes, and it brought me right back to this chapter of Matthew chapter eight, that uh, it lifted my faith, and that's what I want to do tonight. I want to talk to us about glimpses of faith as we see them found in Matthew chapter 8. It's, it's interesting when we talk about faith because every one of us, you, me, you, me, you, me, we've all been given what a, a measure of faith. Um, faith can be small as a mustard seed, but we can move mountains. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course and I've kept the faith, which kind of indicates to me there are times when I feel like I have faith and times that I feel like I don't, but now as I look back, I've, I've kept it. Uh, we're told that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, we're justified by faith. The just shall live by faith. This word faith comes at us in so many different directions, doesn't it? Um, growing up, when I was a young man, we used to sing a little song called Faith, 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 Just a Little Bit of Faith. You don't need a whole lot. Just use what you've got. It's, I'll never forget that. But faith is, boy, such a big word. And, and then you read the heroes of faith, and you, you look at Noah, and the Bible says that by faith he moved. You look at Enoch, by faith he was translated. You look at Moses, by faith he endured. Pastor mentioned that Sunday morning, by faith he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So by faith, big things have happened. And I take a step back and I think to myself, how often do I engage myself in faith? Uh, I say to people, my wife doesn't necessarily agree with me. I'm not an optimist. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. And uh, if you're a realist, it's almost a little bit more dangerous to be there than anywhere because you just believe that things have a pattern and they work this way and somehow along the way, God works it out. Um, And so I I struggle, to be honest with you, at at some times uh, with faith. And I'm not going to ask you to say amen, but I know that every one of us here 
We do. We, what is this word? Where does it come from? There's coming at me from all different directions. And so tonight, I just, I just want to give us some glimpses of faith that comes from people who are not necessarily the most devout Christians. Matthew chapter 8. We, we know that when we begin in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is now coming down from the mount. He has just taught the Sermon on the Mount. And the Bible says that the teaching was so profound that he taught with such authority that the people, the Bible says, were astonished at his doctrine. And I've often thought that was interesting because really what he taught about was marriage, divorce, and oaths, and killings, and, and things like that. And he wraps it up with building your house on the, on the rock and not on the sand. But they were, the Bible says, astonished by his teaching. And then he begins Matthew chapter 8, and we're just going to go through here tonight. And, and uh, I, I promise I, I know where we're at in time, and, and, and we'll be okay. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him. Now, I have to do this. I'm going to step aside for just one moment. We need to understand one thing about worship that's often missed. Worship is not only in demonstration and in loud voice or quiet. You worship can be as simple as saying to God, I know you're able. So Matthew chapter 9, we find a very, and it's a heartbreaking story. A man comes to Jesus, and the Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, I believe starting around verse 16 or 18, the Bible says that this man came to Jesus and worshipped him, saying, my daughter is dead. Now, that's not hallelujah. That's not praise the Lord. That's not thank you, Jesus. But he came to Jesus and said, I'm coming to you with something that no one can defeat, that no one can change. My daughter is dead. I'm worshiping you, God, by bringing you something where there is no hope, there is no possibility. I am bringing you something that there is no physical human way to recover. Sometimes just bringing the impossible to God is worship because you are saying to him, God, there's no other way that this can be accomplished except by you. I notice this now with this man, the Bible says, a leper. He came to the Lord and he worshiped him saying, Lord, if you will... Not if you can, but if you will, thou canst make me clean. So he worshiped the Lord by saying, if you will. I know you can. I'm just asking you, Lord, if you will. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, I know that, that we've been in the church a long time, and we've heard a lot of sermons about people who, have, who had leprosy. And we understand in the Old Testament that there were certain distances six feet away that you need to stay away from someone who had leprosy. And we understand the realities of, of that condition. 
that they were outcasts. They were not allowed to be communicated with uh, other than verbally and a long, long way away. And, and actually, if the wind was blowing, you were supposed to stay even, even further away from them. They had no rights. They had no voice. They had absolutely nothing. They were begging. They were in the most uh, peculiar situation of anyone. They could not get help. And the Bible says that Jesus healed this man who had leprosy. He did something that no one else could do. And the Bible says that he put forth his hand and he touched him. He did something that nobody else was willing to do. So I just want to remind someone today that God is not afraid to step right into something that everyone else is afraid to touch and God can turn things around. This man was a leper. He wasn't a disciple. He wasn't in the clique. He wasn't in the club. This man was begging for his life from the moment he woke up to the moment he went to bed. And Jesus did something no one else would do. He touched him and he healed him. And then he did something really remarkable. Jesus said, he saith unto him, See thou, tell no man, but go thy way and show thyself to the priest. Why is that important? So when I begin reading about the priests in the time of the New Testament, they had a real problem with people who had leprosy. And the Bible doesn't say this, but history will tell us that the priests actually, the priests who were uh, the, the unscrupulous or the wrong priests, the priests who didn't live the right way, they would actually throw rocks at the lepers to keep people, uh, to keep the lepers away from people that were clean. They were actually ones who would throw the stones uh, and they would tell people not to buy food on the streets that a leper would walk down because they did not want to be contaminated. And so Jesus says, I'm going to touch you, I'm going to heal you, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep your mouth shut, but I want you to walk into those priests, and I want you to give them the gift as Moses commanded. In other words, I want you to do what they know, the Old Testament. Well, I want you to give them the gift that Moses commanded and it's going to be a testimony unto them. So this little man of faith, easily forgotten about, easily ignored, God did an amazing miracle in his life. Not so that it'd be in the newspapers, not so it'd drift around in social media. He did it because the priests needed to see that this Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one, was not afraid to touch even the leper. In other words, I'm getting ready in my earthly ministry to really turn the tables around when it comes to the religious folks. And I'm going to do things that they're not expecting. I'm going to touch people that I shouldn't touch. And I'm going to do it on the authority of who I am. I am God in Christ. But this little man had the boldness just to say, if you'd be willing. I have no doubt you can, but would you be willing? The Bible then says that Jesus entered in Capernaum, and there there came and met him a centurion, amen, beseeching him, saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Would you even have a response if Jesus said that to you? 
right? I mean, if you went to the Lord and said, Lord, I have this situation. I have someone who's sick and he's dying. I need you to heal him. And the Lord said, I will heal him. Would you have another word to say? No. But this man, a centurion, mostly thought of of a Roman nature, a man over a centurion, meaning a hundred soldiers, he says, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Look at this faith. This isn't a religious man. This isn't a saved man. He has so much faith. He says, Lord, you know what? I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. I'm a centurion. If you would just send a word, I know that he's going to be healed. Look at this faith. Look at the, uh, the excitement in this man. He's just saying, just send a word, Lord. I believe you can do it without even coming to my house. And he says, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled. And said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. I've not seen anything like this, and it's coming from someone who's on the outside of the religious circle. I've been in Israel. I've never seen faith like this. I've traveled. I've never seen faith like this. I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast in outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. He sent the word, and the healing happened. He gave some instruction about what the kingdom was going to look like and be like and who was going to be saved and who wasn't going to be saved, who was going to be sitting with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven and who was not going to be. He gave a little instruction, but here was a man on the outside, my brothers and sisters, who displayed amazing faith and said, just send a word. Jesus, chapter, or verse 14, and when he was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. There's no request really made here. Just saw that she was sick and of a fever. The Lord saw that she was sick and of a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And notice this, and she arose and complained. She arose and gossiped. She arose and forgot what happened this day by the next morning. No, she arose and she ministered unto them. There is a humility that comes on the other side of a miracle. It's the same humility that says, my daughter is dead. I'm going to rise up now and I'm going to minister. There is a humility that comes on the other side of every victory that God gives you to stand back and say, God did it, not me. God did it, not me. I made a mess. He cleaned it up. I broke it down. He put it together. God is a repairer. 
and God is a restorer, and God is a healer. Sometimes about us, one of the issues we have with idolatry, I shared this with Brother Chase before church, one of the issues we have with idolatry is we have become so confident in ourselves. But I've come to tell you, my brother and sister, there are things that God is going to do in your life that you will have nothing to do with. And as good as you think you are and as accomplished as you think you are and you can go down the list, there are certain areas that God's just going to have to step in and only he can do it. And here's the beauty of Jesus Christ. Just like this particular lady who's laying there with the fever, she didn't say a word. He stepped in and saw her. I want to encourage you today. You may be asking, don't think that God's not looking. It may not just be the time quite yet, but God is looking into your room. He's looking into your house. He's looking into your job. He's looking into your body. He's looking into your family. And when God is ready to touch, he will touch and everything will be made right. But when it happens, you don't slither back. You go forward and you minister. The Bible then says that when the even was come, he stayed in that same place. They brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen all this? And he healed all them that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bare our sickness. What an amazing evening in that house. No one asked him to come. No one asked him to heal. But in that place and in that time, he saw and he healed. We're going to skip down to verse 23. Verse 18 through 22 are just two men who came to Jesus in the moment of excitement and said that they would follow him no matter where he went. And he said, the foxes have holes, the birds there have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If you're going to follow me, be careful. We might be going absolutely nowhere. Not everybody likes that. What if God led me to nowhere? The next man said, let me go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. In other words, this call is so significant, you've got to stand up and walk right now. It's uncomfortable, but that's the way the Lord approached this man, given in zeal, saying, I'll do whatever. Verse 23. So, so far we've seen a lady with a fever, mother-in-law. We've seen a leper, an outcast with no hope. We've seen a centurion, a man with great authority, Great power, great economy behind him, but none of that could help. And now we're going to get to us. Isn't this exciting? These people have been walking with Jesus. They just heard the Sermon on the Mount. They knew that he was the Messiah. Bible says in verse 23, And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. There we go. We're followers, right? Amen. We want to be. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with waves, but he was asleep. Now, this is quite an image in our minds, isn't it? We've all seen the paintings of it. We've seen the pictures of it. The the waves are as high as the ship is, and everyone's frightened, and everyone is afraid, but the Lord who is not just the, the ruler over, um, over our bodies, but also over the, whatever goes on in nature. He is the master of the wind. As the old song used to say, the Bible says that he was asleep. 
He was asleep. Now, I've been around some some pretty crazy weather in my life. How many of you have been around crazy weather in your life? It's intimidating, isn't it? You don't think it's intimidating until it gets intimidating, right? Then it does. Out here today, forest fires out in California and Oregon. It's uh, hazy here in Indiana. You explain it to me. I don't know. I don't know how weather works altogether. I know. I'm glad I know who does know how it all works. I can't explain the whole thing, but I can tell you this. Wind can get pretty crazy pretty fast. And if you watch your trees sometimes, it can go in all kinds of different directions. I've been out on a boat when the wind was pretty bad, and I've been in some areas and some times that I thought, man, this is, this is a little unsettling. But the Bible says that they were in a great tempest. This wasn't a casual breeze. This was a great tempest. And I would imagine, like you and like me, they were nervous. They were afraid. But the Lord, our Savior, slept. He slept. And the Bible says... The disciples came to him and said, Lord, save us. Save us. We perish. We're going to die. We're not going to make it. The end is figured out. There's no way. And by the way, these disciples knew something about the boats because this was Peter and Andrew and James and John. These were the people who jumped out of the boats. They were fishermen. They knew. They knew the seriousness of this storm. And they said, Lord, we're going to die. We're going to perish. And the Lord says to them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? You've been in storms before, and I'm here. You see, the leper, he didn't know all this. The centurion hadn't been on the mount. The people that were there that were healed, there were maybe some there, but they were possessed of devils and sick. They wouldn't have been allowed into a house like this, not like the mother-in-law's house where he healed. But when it comes to us, when it gets down to the disciples, the people who are called, or as the popular thing now is the chosen, I know what you're thinking, He looks at his own people and says, Oh, ye of little faith, why are you fearful? Have you ever wondered in your life how God viewed you? Not just in judgment, because we can take that too far. But have you ever wondered if God looked at your life in a particular situation and said, Why are you afraid? I'm not on the the bow or the stern. I'm not standing. I'm not holding the, you know. He was asleep in the ship. And he says to them, why are you fearful? O ye of little faith. If anyone should have had faith, it should have been them. But Jesus said, you have little faith. O ye of little faith. Then he arose, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. I just want to remind someone today who's not the leper, centurion, 
a mother-in-law on the outside. But someone who's been following for a while, someone who knows the ropes, who is maybe very afraid that the Lord can still calm the storm. Sometimes just calming the storm makes everything right. Sometimes we find ourselves in great tempests being thrown to and fro, emotions going backwards and forwards, up and down, ideas, thoughts, angers, frustrations, bitternesses, they begin to creep in and they turn us about like that ship in the tempest. And we know what we pray, God take my anger away, God take my bitterness away, God take, 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 take it away. And sometimes the Lord really just needs to rebuke it and make it calm. And you've got to learn how to lay it down so that it's away. You know, sometimes to conquer things, you've got to take a step back and examine them. Oftentimes, when we try to accomplish things and work them out, we don't take a step back before we react. That's why we overreact sometimes. We don't act rationally in exchanges with people because we haven't taken the time to step back and allow the calm. The Lord stepped back and allowed the calm. And what happened because of that? What happened? This is the miracle of it, the teaching. The Bible says, but the men marveled, saying, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, these were the same men who knew about the leper. They knew about the centurions. They knew about the devils. They knew about the sickness. But the Lord was just once again revealing himself to his people in a brand new way that they had not seen because they hadn't seen him on the sea. They hadn't seen him in the ship. They hadn't seen him in the tempest. And now they're walking away from this saying, I just found out something brand new about this man called Jesus. Not only do the devils obey him, not only does sickness obey him, not only do people obey him, but would you believe the winds and the sea even obey him? I want to tell you something. God is not afraid to work things out so that you see more of him than you did last week. God is not afraid to answer prayers and turn uh, trials into testimonies just so that you can say, I've never seen this before, but I know something new about my God. I know that he is able to do something I never dreamed or thought he could work out. He's able to do something. And so now the disciples who are already the chosen and the called are having a new revelation of the power and the authority of Jesus Christ over nature. Amen. I want to tell you today that God is able, and and he is able to do things above and beyond what we ask or think. Amen. I'm moving along here quickly. Uh, Verse 28, and when he was come to the other side in the country of Gergenses, there met him two possessed with devils, two men possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, bad guys, so that no man might pass by that way. 
And behold, now look at this, and behold, they cried out. Jesus didn't look at them and say, I'm going to get you, devil. He wasn't chasing these devils down. They cried out to him, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them and heard of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him. Look at this. The devils besought him, saying, If thou, can, if thou cast us out, sufferest to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea, and they perished in the waters. Now, this is really one of the most amazing scenes of the life of Jesus Christ in ministry. There's so many, but this one is truly amazing. These devils had possessed these two men, and they were fierce. They were angry. People couldn't even walk by. And they, knowing who Jesus was, out of fear, called out to him. Are you come? To torment us. What are you doing here, Jesus? They knew who he was. And they wondered, what is going on? Why is he here? Are you come to torment us before our time? And then they looked around, and the devils, the devils. Everybody say the devils. The devils besought him. The devils asked of Jesus, if you cast us out, Cast us into the swine. Now, I got to tell you, if this isn't one of the most interesting exchanges in the New Testament, I don't know what is. The devil is asking Jesus where to go. And they're identifying the place. (laughs) I mean, does anyone else find this really remarkable? The devil is saying to Jesus, hey, you see those swine way down there? If you're going to cast us out, Cast us into those swine. I would have thought the devil would have said, cast us into those bodies over there of those people who have a perfect life, or cast us over here, or cast us over there. But the devils wanted to be in the swine. Isn't that amazing? Why did they choose the swine? I suppose they knew that they would run down into the water and that they would drown. Perhaps the adversary knew that swine had a great deal of value and one last time the adversary wanted to hinder or to uh, discourage or to wreak havoc over the owner of the swine because the loss of those swine was a terrible loss. I don't know why the devils chose the swine, but the devils chose the swine and asked the Lord. And look at what Jesus does. He cast the devils into the swine. Now, this may sound a little bit crazy to you because it sounds crazy to me as I'm getting ready to say it. But those devils had faith that Jesus could cast them where they wanted to be cast. The devils had faith that Jesus could cast them. A leper, Lord, if you will, will you make me clean? If you will, a centurion, Lord, would you send a word to heal, heal my man? Uh, uh, Disciples, Lord, would you calm the the waters for us? And devils, hey, would you cast us into the swine? Isn't it interesting? All the perspectives 
and the ways that people begin asking God to work their lives out. So what are we doing with faith, my brothers and sisters? Do we have a faith? Like the leper had nothing going for him. He had all kinds of faith. Do we have B faith, C faith, D faith? What kind of faith do we have? If we put a grade on it, if four out of these five situations are people on the outside and they tended to have great faith, when we look at us, we're scared in the boat. When we look at them, they're looking at life-altering possessions by demons. They're looking at leprosy. They're looking at death. Where is our faith today? Do we have faith the size of a mustard seed? Are we moving mountains? Have we come to the place where we understand that 2 plus 2 equals 4 and we can do that all day and and maybe God will do something, maybe God won't? Where are we at in faith? I began reading old notes and I began thinking about faith. The Bible, let me finish this up by by reading the last two verses. Verse 33, And they that kept them fled, the keeper of the the swine fled, and went their ways into the city and told everything. Why, Jesus? Did you do this miracle right here? Why did you do this? Because this is the way that the gospel and the kingdom were going to be preached. Jesus is now in his earthly ministry beginning to do miracles. And guess what? People are beginning to hear. People are beginning to know. The crowd is beginning to gather. The Bible says they told everything and what was befallen to the possessed of the devils, those two men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coasts. Why is that? It's because people are afraid. And I'm not a spooky person, but people are afraid of the supernatural power and move of God. Everybody loves God, folks. Not everybody loves his ways. I examine myself all the time and I say, God, you know that I love you, I serve you, but am I in love with your ways? That is the big question. Are we in love with his ways? These people, when they saw this miraculous deliverance of these devils, they said, Jesus, we can't have you around here. Get out of our coast. We don't want this type of miracle power. Can I tell you something about the world? Uh, This is no different than in the book of Acts when they were selling the statue of Diana and they said, no, you've got to stop that because you're going to interrupt our life. I've come to tell you that when Jesus Christ does a miracle in our lives, there are people who cannot contain it. They don't understand understand it. They don't want to hear about it. When people are saved and delivered and their lives are turned around, there are people that don't believe it. They don't understand it. They don't want it anywhere around them. Don't come telling me I can be different. Don't come telling me I can be saved. I don't believe this. I don't believe that people and now are uncomfortable with the power and the work of God. But I've come to tell you that our God is just as able today 
to do exceeding abundantly more than we could ask or think. He is able to deliver. He is able to set free. He is able to turn around. And the world may be uncomfortable. The world may not like it. But I've, I've seen it. You've seen it. We've all experienced it. The power of the Holy Ghost. The power of salvation. The power of deliverance. And people can become uncomfortable at work. And people can become uncomfortable in your family. But that doesn't mean it isn't true. And I've come to tell you today what we need to understand is that the God we just read about from five different glimpses of people from different backgrounds with different levels of understanding, different circumstances, and different levels of faith all saw God do a miracle. And my brother and sister, I don't care if it's big or small, wide, large, I don't care what it is, God can still do a miracle in your life. He can still turn things around. He can still deliver you and your family. He can still make the things that are wrong right. But because there's so much said about faith, I think sometimes we shrivel back and we don't exercise our faith. Because when we read of the heroes of faith, it seems so much larger than what we we can ever do. When we read of miracles and signs... We begin to think to ourselves, where are they? I've come to tell you, we've got to rebuke that spirit. I rebuke that spirit in me in Jesus' name. We cannot be accustomed to not having miracles, signs, and wonders. We we should be believing for these things. We should be pursuing and expecting these things because that's the kind of God that we serve. And faith doesn't have to come from the most polished, perfect person. Faith can come from the leper, and that leper can be healed. Amen. I hope I'm making sense tonight. When you read this chapter, go home and read this chapter. Dive in and say, okay, God, I'm looking at people of faith, and I'm looking at what you've done, and I'm believing you for it in my life and in my family's life. And I'm here to tell you that that same God is still here. And he's ready to calm the storm if you need a calm, a calm sea. Amen. Stand, if you would, with me right now. We're going to pray just a simple prayer, and then I want to say one thing in dismissal. Let's lift up our hands. Father, we come to you tonight, Lord, knowing that faith isn't always easy. Lord, you wondered if you came back to this earth if you'd even find faith. Lord, we pray today that our faith be lifted, that our faith be illuminated, that, God, we would understand our faith and that, Lord, we would begin to operate in a little more faith that you're going to work it out. And, and it's so much easier to say than to do. But, but God, let us reconnect to faith. Let's believe for some things that, that are supernatural. Let's believe that we can ask of you and that you're going to allow those things to occur. Amen. By your power. In Jesus' name. Amen. If there's anyone here who has come to repent of your sins or to be baptized in the name of Jesus by the baptismal formula laid out in the scriptures or to be filled with the Holy Ghost, this altar is open to you. Amen. In the name of Jesus. If there isn't anyone, you are dismissed in Jesus' name.